Welcome to Dentists, Puns, and Money, formerly known as the Practice Growth Podcast. Dentists, Puns, and Money is the same format with the same great guests as before, but with a better name and better music. My guest on today's show is Emmett Scott. Emmett is the co-founder of Community Dental Partners, and he recently authored a book, DSO Secrets, The Ultimate Guide to Building Your Dental Empire. Some of the topics Emmett and I discuss, the perception of dental support organizations, DSOs, both good and bad, how dentists can think about balancing the roles of being CEO of a dental practice and concurrently a practicing clinical dentist, plus what kinds of dentists should look to scale up through a DSO, plus much, much more. And as a reminder, you can get all the information discussed in today's conversation by visiting our website, dentistexit.com, and clicking on the podcast tab. While there, be sure to subscribe to our newsletter, and you can also schedule a discovery call to learn a little bit more about how we help dentists find their exit or their off-ramp from active practice to financial independence. And with that introduction, I hope you enjoy my conversation with Emmett Scott. All right, Emmett Scott, welcome. Plenty of topics to cover with you, and I'm excited to talk more about your new book, DSO Secrets, The Ultimate Guide to Building Your Dental Empire. Hey, I like how you read that, The Ultimate Guide to Building Your Dental Empire. It sounded a lot better even when you said it. You got a good voice for that. So, <laughs> well, hey, it's great, to, it's great to be here. Thank you, and thanks for joining us. Maybe just to get started, uh, one of the places I always like to start is so the audience has a little bit of context on your background. Could you just share the Reader's Digest version of how you reached this current point of your career? The quickest summary is my best friend from the age of two is a dentist. I went uh, the business route, always been fascinated with entrepreneurship. He wanted to open up his first dental practice. He has seven kids. He's very focused on kids. He's fluent in Spanish. He wanted to do something around pediatrics. We ended up building this dental practice that was um, all around kids. It was a storybook around Charlie the Chipmunk. The kids are called back as prince or princess. They get gold coins along the way. Um, they get crowned at the end for their bravery and dentistry. Uh, they get to spend their gold coins. They get a balloon. They get a sticker. Mom gets a sticker because she's always freaking out. And, um, you know, the goal was to have them say, Hey, when can I come back to the dentist? And really the focus from the beginning was dentistry sucks. How do we actually create something that customers would be interested in, right? Mm -hmm. That patients would actually want. And, and so we did that and, you know, a good dental practice will have a hundred first visits come in. I mean, that's awesome. If you're having that each month. And we had a thousand in the first three weeks. So we knew we were like off to the races on something. Um, didn't know what a DSO was, dental support organization. Didn't have like dramatic uh, dreams of, of building an empire at that point. It was really a vision of two friends working together and, you know, kind of hitting a home run and saying, hey, we should have a bigger impact and do another location, another location. Pretty soon we were building out the call center, we were building out the billing team and the executive team. And my background was knowing how to do that. Um, and so I was following his lead. And pretty soon I was doing a podcast around, hey, here's what we're doing. 
Um, I became partners in the dentist entrepreneur organization. So DEO dental group.com great place for like peer to peer networking for entrepreneurs, dentists. And then last year what became president of ADSO association of DSO. So start off with like, I want to help my best friend open a great dental practice. Now we support over 70 locations in three different States and, you know, building 10 locations this year. And I'm in all these other things. So like I'm fully in. So moral to the story is if you're going to help your friend out, you better love the industry <laughs> that they're in. So the accidental empire, it almost sounds like you started, yeah. it went well and you found something and just kept pushing to see how it would grow. Yeah. I think if, if you're an entrepreneur out there, I think the big takeaway that you resonate with is, you know, why did that go so well? Cause there was just so much focus on the customer. Hmm. You know, it, it really wasn't about us. Um, he was so focused on creating something unique for the customer. I was able to support with that. Um, what was interesting is as we scale and grow, grew, and I talk about this in the book, is your customer changes because your customer really becomes the dentist you're supporting mm. as you scale. So you have to, you know, it's easy, you know, and you think about any entrepreneur, it's easy to think of like employees you pay, team members. As like, well, I pay them a paycheck. They should just do their job. Um, but when you think about them as customers, it changes everything. The way you provide support to them, the way they're able to then support the end customer, the patient. So I think that's been something unique for our growth too. We've been really thoughtful around like, what do dentists want out of their career? And how could we uh, provide that? So, you know, dentists want to have like own a practice someday. Can we help them own a practice and use our platform? So we developed a product for that, you know, so things like that, we've just been really thoughtful about along the way. The book DSO Secrets was released at the end of 2021. Uh, I liked one of the things that you did with the book, which I recently finished reading myself. You hit the elephant in the room pretty early in the book, which is that the term DSO can be, in my experience, and I'll let you give your take on this as well, a polarizing term within dentistry. Maybe just to start off, could you give a little context for why that occurs and, and how you define what DSO means to you and, and what you're building? The future is always disruptive to the past, mm. right? Anything that's kind of driving change, we're always assessing, is this a good change or is this a bad change? Because I kind of came in, you know, let's call it mid-sentence on DSO, I didn't really know what it was. I took it at face value, which is dental support organization. If you just kind of take it as straight jargon, um, I didn't see anything evil with it. You know, to me, it aligned very much with help your best friend build a great dental practice, right? Take care of all the back end pieces. As I got more into it, I understood how dentists were seeing it and the way they were perceiving it was private equity money comes in with business guys, takes over dental controls, clinical outcomes, right? So yep. that would make dental support organizations sound really evil. I call that in the book DCOs, dental control organizations. And I say that they should be wiped off the face of the earth. The cool thing is when you really um, dig down, Sean, is they don't exist uh, very long if they ever exist. And the reason is, is because at the end of the day, going back to who the customer is, as soon as a dentist sees that there's some business guy that only cares about the money, 
they just leave. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like they have lots of options in their life. The worst DSOs, frankly, today are ran by dentists. And I don't say that because dentists are evil. I say that because dentists feel more confident controlling other dentists and not treating them like a customer, mm -hmm. right? They're like, hey, you're my colleague. I can tell you what to do. They're not actually business guys who are, are running the, the worst DSOs from my experience. And I've been around um, some of the biggest, but I think dent, one of the things I try to help dentists understand is you're completely in control here. Like where the competition is going to happen as the future continues to move forward is how can I support dentists better so I can attract as many dentists as possible? Well, the way to attract dentists is you give them massive autonomy. One way to give them massive autonomy is they don't have to worry about HR stuff, IT things, accounting things, et cetera. They get the patient type that they're interested in. They get access to CE credits. Like this isn't really hard when you think about it, Sean. Like, okay, what would I need to do to attract dentists? And the reality is if there is some dentist who's setting up a group like that or some dentist with their best friend who's setting up a group like that, and there's some guy who's controlling dentists or being a jerk, then the dentists just vote with their feet and they're like, hey, I'm out of here. I'm going to go work with these guys. So that's the great thing about capitalism is I think it's actually driving towards dental support organization and lots of opportunity to, you know, build your dental empire, your vision. One of the lines in the book that you hit on was that you believe like 90 to 95% of owning a dental practice in many instances is not about actually practicing clinical dentistry. So maybe as a, a question follow up to that, is the DSO to lead you down this path a little bit more? Is that about taking away that other 90%, which is the IT and the HR and the marketing and the compliance and everything else and letting the dentist as much as possible focus 100% on treating patients and the clinical side of things? Well, it feels like this great deception that happens because the dentist goes through dental school, you know, now you're paying half a million dollars, right? And learning all these procedures, which are absolutely necessary. Mm -hmm. But think about like the first day, let's say you opened a dental practice. First of all, you know, if you're building it yourself, you're having to do all that design element, you're working with suppliers, you're trying to figure out all this stuff that frankly, you had no classes on. If you're buying a practice, you're doing a bunch of stuff you had no classes on. Once you're in the practice itself, now you've got an office manager. How are you supposed to communicate with them, Sean? How are you supposed to train them, lead them, right? What's their compensation model they're supposed to have? What bonus systems, right? Where should the router go? Where should the IT, which, which practice management software should you be on? How should the billing work? Which insurances should you sign up with? X-ray tech, what kind of x-rays? How do you train an x-ray tech? So it's incredible how many things you know, are happening. Well, you finally get to the point where you finally get a patient in the door and you think, oh, good, now I can use my clinical skills, except they don't understand any of that jargon and they don't care about it, <laughs> right? So all they care about, and I say this in the book, is patients are only experts in one thing, and that is how did they feel? When they walk out, they're not going to say, oh man, the margins. I mean, that dentist is amazing. You know, they're not going to, oh, when he does that root canals, the filing system he's using is incredible. Like he's got the best supplies out there. Nobody knows that, right? They're going to be like, 
they're either going to be like, oh man, the front desk, they were so sweet and kind. And they talked to my son and whatever, right? Like those will be the things. And you're thinking, so I went to all this dental school. I learned all this and their takeaway is going to be how I treated them or how the front desk treated them or how they felt. And the answer is, yeah, that's exactly what it's going to be. So no one goes into a dental practice and says, Hey, do you guys do fillings here? It's just like, it's an expectation. And sadly it's commoditized expectation. And I'm not saying that there's not a, a variance between it. And I'm not an expert on that, that variance, but I'm saying neither is any patient. They're really not going to know the difference, but they are going to know like how they felt um, and how the team made them feel. Yeah. And the interaction they had with the dentist and yeah, the team, as you, as you mentioned. So it can, you know, I just try to be as transparent as possible. That can be really um, painful, but if you know it up front, then you say, okay, if this is what I'm walking into, you know, what team do I need around me? What support do I need around me? What peers do I need around me? You know, that's one of the great things about DEO Dental Group is you can get a team or a, a team of other entrepreneurs around you and say, okay, how did you solve this? How did you solve that? Right. Um, and it kind of accelerate it versus like tiptoeing in the dark on your own. Is your experience in the book, is it about how to scale up to a DSO for someone that already owns one practice? Or is it more about, or maybe it's both as I'm answering my own question that I'm about to ask here, but, or is it about if you own your own practice, figuring out a way to outsource all those things that are besides clinical dentistry that you have to worry about and take care of? Yeah. I mean, everything's going to start first with, and, and this is where I start in the book is like, are you sure you even want to be a practice owner and an entrepreneur? Like really identifying your vision. There's a great saying, I can give a man anything he wants. The hard part is him figuring out what he wants. And I think I feel that every day. Like, what do I really want from life? What, what am I trying to create here? And, you know, is it some kind of lifestyle component or is it I'm trying to have a bigger impact? What do I want to retire from? You know, most of us don't want to retire as entrepreneurs and just like be put out of service. We want to retire from specific activities though. Right. And so all of that is, is addressed in the book, as well as the fact that no patient is going to know if you're supported by a DSO, if you have multiple locations, no patient's going to care about that. So that's not a competitive advantage. What is a competitive advantage is, do you have a great patient experience? And sometimes being part of a larger organization or building a larger organization means you have more resources to create a better patient experience. But at the end of the day, that's the only reason it's going to matter. What type of dentist is a good candidate to scale up to or be a part of a DSO versus what type of dentist? Maybe we're getting into personality types a little bit here. Yeah. Maybe that's not a good fit for them. You can kind of see that on the front end. How, how does a dentist look within themselves and sort of know if this is something they should attempt to, to build up or scale up to? Well, I, you know, I do talk a little bit about when even hiring associate kind of knowing what personality types, but we can, you know, apply it to themselves too, is to the extent that, you know, the first thing I think people are, would ask themselves is, do I want to be an associate, uh, you know, my whole career, or do I want to own a practice? There's a lot of benefits of being an associate. You know, you get to kind of drop the mic at the end of the day, walk out and none of those troubles with the front desk or anything or your responsibility. I mean, all you have to do is maybe complain about them, you know, but you don't have to solve them. 
if you decide, okay, no, I want to have a little bit more impact. And I think honestly, most people sign up to own something, to be an entrepreneur for personal development reasons. And, and I think this is when you should sign up for it is, hey, I've really mastered being a clinician and I kind of want to develop another capability and skill set in my life. And so then they might become a practice owner and, and they're going to work on how do I systemize this as much as possible? And I think at that point, Sean, they start asking themselves, am I more interested in having my impact by being in the chair on that one-on-one -on -one patient experience? Or do I want to have that impact by mentoring other clinicians? And so if I want to mentor, you know, one of the benefits of mentoring is you can have impact on a lot more patients. If I've got 10 locations, no one can argue that I'm seeing more people than the guy who has one location, right? Mm. So if I've built that in a way that really aligns with my value system and the clinical care I want to provide, I'm providing more care to more people and my impact's bigger. So I think there needs to be a passion around wanting to do that because it's going to be a lot of human interaction. I, I was talking to, this is kind of off topic, but I was talking to a, a software guy who's developing out this great software in dental. And I think this applies to all of us as entrepreneurs. We go into entrepreneurship, into owning a business with the idea of like, we're going to solve a problem, right? We're going to bring better financial planning to people than they can currently get. We're going to bring better clinical care than they're getting somewhere else from another dentist, whatever it might be. Better than exists in the marketplace currently, right? Like yes, we look at exactly. ourselves and say, I could do it better than it's currently being done if I did it my way. For sure. I mean, I don't think anybody says, hey, I really want to start this because I'm going to be a lot crappier than everybody else. <laughs> you know, uh, I'm going to really bring the bar down as much as possible. Right. I think we go into it thinking, hey, there's some things here that I think I could really solve. The weird thing is, is if you're really good at that and you solve those problems, you get a lot of patients, a lot of customers coming in the door. Mm. Now you're left with another dilemma. Am I going to service all of them that are coming in? Or am I going to say, yeah, I'm just going to service as many as I can see. How do I want to scale that? If you decide you want to scale it, now you run into the next dilemma, which is your job becomes more around managing and leading people than it does around the product that you initially started with, right? So let's say like the software developer develops this great software. He's got lots of interest. He's been, you know, developing out the features and functions that are really solving a problem. Now everybody wants to buy it. His job is now he's got a sales force and he's got operations team. And now he's got an HR team and he's got a financing. As a CEO, he's doing more work running that group than he is developing the software anymore. You know, he's got a software engineer who's now doing the software. So along that path, I think one of the things all of us are thinking through is, okay, who do I want to be? Do I want to be the guy in the chair? Do I want to be the CEO? Do I want to, you know, be the marketing director? What do I want right. to be in, in this whole development? Because when you start a business, you're, you do everything in the beginning, right? So right. that it's hard to figure out as you move through that, I guess, period, what you really enjoy doing as, as the founder, what you're good at and who you want to hire and how do you hire people to help you with the pieces that you just can't keep up with anymore? 
Yeah. The problem in the beginning is so easy because it's like, I need to make sure I cash flow. <laughs> you know, I, right. I'd really like to make payroll, you know, that's like the, the biggest problem. And so it's like very focused, very easy. I need to go solve problems for people so that I can make a paycheck and pay anybody that I've hired. Once you've solved that, it actually gets a lot more complex. There's a lot more of internal like vision thinking and development and kind of getting down to your why um, that you have to say, okay, now what do I want to solve? Hmm. And so I don't think it's any different for a dentist in the beginning. It's like, Hey, I just need to cash flow and I want to get to this level. And then they're like, so how many days a week do I want to be in the chair? So do I want to hire associates? So do you know, and as soon as they start thinking about that and they start doing those things now, frankly, I think they become a DSO the day they hire an associate. I like that analogy in the book that you gave expand on that. Well, yeah, because the associate isn't thinking, hey, I'm really glad I, I'm here. I'm excited to do your HR, IT and you know, accounting work. They're thinking you're going to do all that for them and they're going to see patients. So that's the purpose of a dental support organization. And that associate just became your customer. You know, yes, you're paying them, but you're paying them a percentage of the revenue that they are that they are paying to the practice or they are working for the practice. So. Anyway, I, I think it's just an interesting mindset that actually drives more success if you think about them as a customer and you think of yourself as a DSO day one. So scaling anything, uh, you know, you can, you can go from one practice to two practice and two practices to four practices. It's, it's not a linear path. And your experience actually doing it with, with your friend, Dr. Chad Evans, I think you said. Yeah. Uh, what were some of the, the hurdles and the challenges that, that you guys went through? And you had a term for this in the book. Yeah, we, I call it the dark tunnel, right? Because you, you hit these areas where in order to get to the next stage, you have to go backwards. For us, it came early because, you know, we had entrepreneurs kind of fear two things. One is failure. The other is success. And it can feel very similar. It's like, oh my gosh, I've got all this going on and, you know, I don't know how to solve it. So what happens to successful dentists is, one, they start having a bunch of human problems. <laughs> you know, they've got all these humans running around. And can we be honest? Like humans are crazy. Like there's just <laughs> things they come up with that you're like, yeah, I don't have that in the HR manual. In fact, I don't even have an HR manual. I need to develop one, you know? So all of those things start hitting you very hard and you realize I've got to hire somebody just to manage that. You'll hit certain places where you need to hire very expensive people to help run that part of your organization. Cause you need strategic thinkers. You need people who can like make it up, look around the corner, et cetera. And you're not going to get it right the first time. So you're going to hire the wrong person. Then you're going to have to solve for that and get, you know, so there's just so much learning that goes into that, that you might go, man, I'm making less money than I was when I was smaller. And oftentimes that's when people say, you know, I'm going to sell a couple practices and just kind of stay small. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's kind of like, this is my capability and I don't want to deal with the chaos above that. I think those who can like push through that. And I give a couple ways in the book that you can get through the dark tunnel, you know, they're doing that because they have a passion to have a bigger impact. That's interesting. You, you touched on the financial aspect of it there. And that was a question I had coming into our conversation today after reading the book. You know, my experience in working with Dennis as a financial advisor is probably more thus far 
around the stereotypical dentist that owns one practice with maybe a partner, they're 50, 50. And let's just use a couple round numbers here. They have gross revenue of 2 million a year, a profit margin of 40%. So between the two of them, they each take home 400,000 a year. How do those economics change for the better or for the worse, I guess, as you, as you scale up and add more locations and more uh, doctor, non-owner dentists, perhaps working underneath you as part of the organization? So the first thing that happens is in your profit and loss that you just described, you start to think about it differently. So instead of pushing everything to the bottom line, you have to be just a little more sophisticated and say, I'm going to pay myself as an associate first. Mm. Like what is going to be my associate level pay? Because part of what you're starting to think about is if I hired an associate to do what I'm doing, how much is actually dropping to the bottom line? So let's say that you just used a 40% margin. Mm -hmm. Let's say that you felt like I need to pay an associate 30%. Well, you know then right now about that business that 10% is really the net profit. Mm -hmm. 30% is getting created because you're working, right? It's, it's the job portion of your business. Producing dentistry, correct? Yes, exactly. So it helps you to start looking at your business as, as you zoom out. You need to look at it as what part of this business is more about it's a job and which part of this is really the business part of it, right? The, the passive income part. And so immediately when you do that, Sean, you know a lot more about the business because sometimes what you find out is there is no profitability. And so it's like, wow, really what I have is a great paying job. And that's oftentimes when dentists go to sell their, their practice, they really don't get the full value that they could because they're selling their job to another dentist who's buying that job. When they start to organize their profit and loss and they start thinking about, okay, if I can get an associate and I pay him this amount, okay, really 10% falling to the bottom line. Could I scale this? get another one that 10% is falling to the bottom line, another one that 10% is falling to the bottom line. Okay, now I've got three of those with 10% falling to the bottom line. Now I'm getting 30% of their production all through passive income. Mm -hmm. And my responsibility at that point is I am, you know, the leader mentor of those, um, of those dentists, of those associates. So there's a, there's a profit and loss mindset change that needs to happen. As you scale and grow, you'll hit different points of that where you're like, wait, now I'm going to, I need to hire a regional manager. I got too many locations and that's going to bring your profitability down. And then you're going to go, Ooh, but now that I'm at this many locations, I can get my supply costs and I can get this cost and I can get this down. So instead of a 10% margin, I'm actually at a 15 or 20% margin, right? So those kind of things become, you know, part of the math, the finances. Is that, is that what you're looking for? Yeah, I guess so. My vision for how a dentist evolves through this from owning their own practice and maybe a single location to owning multiple um, would be that they get further and further away from day-to-day -day clinical dentistry as they're doing that. And my, I guess my question, my first question was, how does, what does the economics of that look like? Are they at the end of the day, if they can get through some of those hiccups in the dark tunnel, making more money than they would from producing dentistry, if they can scale it correctly? or and you talked about earlier why it's probably, you know, it's more about for someone that does this the right way, not necessarily 
all about the money. It's about having a greater impact on more patients and, and more doctors. But I guess I was curious about how the financial component factored into it as well. Yeah. So you nailed it again. The first thing dentists are going to be figuring out is, as I step away from the chair, how much is, am I really going to still make, right? Uh, to be able to keep funding growth. So Sean, if you and I are partners and we're doing it the way you said, where we're splitting the 40%, 50-50, and I tell you, hey, but by the way, I'm not going to work in the chair anymore. You're going to be like, wait, wait, wait. (laughs) We're not splitting this 50-50 anymore, at least not the full 40%. So that's where you have to start off getting the associate pay nailed down, even if it's you're paying yourself. Because as you pull off the days, you got to plug that associate in, pay them and say, okay, so how do I now start scaling this other practice so that I can do this? And this becomes a little bit of the Jenga game to work yourself out of the chair. Eventually, part of the reason that this is mo- very motivating, Sean, is one, I want to have bigger impact. Number two, a dollar through passive income of having businesses is worth a lot more to me than a dollar of active work in the chair. Right. Because That's a good one, point, I'm just right? exchanging time for money. So if you said, Hey, Emmett, I'd like to give you $10,000. Here's the work you need to do on patients to get that $10,000. Or I said, Hey, Emmett, I'm sending you a check for $10,000 because you own this. Totally different value, same dollar amount, totally different value. And I think to myself, Yeah, I could go a long ways with getting the passive income, but that active income, it has a time limit associated with it. Yeah. And I think maybe the, the elephant in the room here is that actually clinical dentistry is physically demanding, right? And totally. I've never done it, but I look at a lot of people who have, and it, you know, they, they make nice livings if they, if they run their practices well, but it's, you know, they got to be there 40 hours a week, seeing X number of patients every week and, and not just for one year, but for, for decades. And so if I, if I hear kind of maybe the takeaway or some of the takeaways from this path, it's that maybe there's a, a way to still be involved in dentistry and get a little bit more removed from the physical demands of clinical, clinical dentistry, but earn perhaps a, a similar amount of money and enjoy a similar level of lifestyle as actually practicing every day. But you got to go through the dark tunnel to get there. <laughs> you do. And there's personal development because your job is and, you know, your responsibilities change dramatically, right? Before your success was very tactical, patient pops up, they're thrilled. Oh, they feel so much better. They're out of pain. They love what you've done, whatever it might be. Now your job becomes around leadership. And you're like, so I talked to the front office manager and she's not going to be as crazy this week as she was last week, right? Like those are the type of successes that you're driving. Or I talked to the office manager, she gave me great feedback and I need to improve my leadership. Those are the successful things. It's very different kind of experience. So yes, you're excited about the passive income. Are you excited about the new job? Mm -hmm. You know, are you excited about the new personal development associated with this? And what's fun is this isn't unique to dentists. Every entrepreneur, you know, you're in financial planning, you do amazing work, I'm sure, for your clients. A construction guy who's building houses, right? Everyone gets this really great experience of that one on one solving a problem, et cetera. And over time, we start to go, 
yeah, but it requires my time to do that. Is there a way I want to scale this? And, you know, the first place you scale it, honestly, Sean, every entrepreneur should scale it by retiring from things they don't want to do. If you're the dentist who's still doing payroll, like, you know, retire from that, right? Hire somebody else. If you're, if you're doing HR stuff and you don't want to like find an outsourced solution to manage that. And then you get into like more specifics. Are there specific procedures you want to do? Hire an associate to do the other things, right? So that's how you start thinking about this. And, you know, this is really about getting into your personal passions and flow and, and some of that as well. Um, your, what's your highest and best mission here on this earth? Oh, this is all interesting stuff. I'm sure we have enough stuff here for a couple podcasts, but uh, I want to be respectful of the time I've asked of you. And as we start to kind of wrap things up here, is there anything that I haven't asked you about that you think would be important to relay and communicate to the audience? Well, for that dentist who is, you know, individual dentist to start their practice, wants to crush it. I have a great um, chapter on being an ACE clinician. And so I suggest that, you know, around what are the three things that clinicians can do to do really well on an individual practice? So there's some things in the book around that. There's some around how to get financing from different financing sources. I know that can be a challenge. Um, so anyway, hopefully that's helpful. We have a Facebook page, uh, DSO Secrets. People can come, you know, ask questions there for free. Uh, I would check out deodentalgroup.com. It's a great peer-to-peer network. So if you kind of identify as entrepreneurial uh, and, a, and a dentist or you're supporting a dentist, that's a great group to be in. It's sometimes hard to find that room. And so that's, that's the room I would suggest. So the podcast is DSO Secrets, the book, which you can find, I guess, on Amazon or what's the best way to get the book for people yeah, that want to buy it? DSO okay. Secrets, yeah. DSO Secrets. And then you mentioned some of the Facebook groups as well to, to find out some more resources or get started in the community. Absolutely. That is Emmett Scott. He is a dental entrepreneur, podcaster, and the author of the book, DSO Secrets. Emmett, thank you for sharing your time and your wisdom on dentists, funds, and money. Thanks so much, Sean. Thanks for listening to Dentists, Puns, and Money. For more information about my day job, which is helping dentists plan for their eventual exit from practice to financial independence, you can visit DentistExit.com. And there you can find more information about us, sign up for our email newsletter, learn more about the Elements Financial Planning System, or schedule a discovery call with Sean. That's me. If you've enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts. And also, please share the podcast with your friends and your colleagues. As for the boring legal stuff, Dentist Exit Planning and Terrell Advisors LLC is a registered investment advisor. The information presented should not be interpreted or construed as investment, legal, tax, financial planning, or wealth management advice. It does not substitute for personalized investment or financial planning from Dentist Exit Planning or Terrell Advisors LLC. This podcast conveys the views and opinions of Sean Terrell and the information herein should not be considered a solicitation to engage in a a particular investment or financial planning strategy. Information presented is for educational purposes only and past performance is not indicative of future results.